0: Welcome, everyone, to Dolls of Our Lives. This is the podcast where we're reliving the American Girls series book by book. I'm Mary. I'm Allison. Allison, you know, you just, I just became aware of something really alarming before we sat down and recorded. So I've actually hijacked the intro to this show because we all as a community need to care about what I'm about to show you. You know, sometimes a piece of culture enters the culture and it's so overwhelming that like I literally got on our discord and hit like at everyone, please watch this right now at like 11 o'clock at night or whatever it was when I discovered this. You just told me you have not seen This Is Me Now, A Love Story, the official trailer of Jennifer Lopez's upcoming visual album to be released February 16th.
1: This is me watching now for the first time.
0: I can't believe you haven't seen this, but honestly, what a joy. So everyone, I will put the link into the bio or to the show notes. I'm sorry. This is going to be two minutes, 15 seconds. I don't care. Please go watch it while we're watching it, but Allison... I just like remember your life before you've seen this trailer, and remember it after. You're not prepared for what I'm about to show you, but I have to show you. We're watching it right now. Hit play.
1: I know what they say about me,
0: about hopeless romantics,
1: that we're weak, (laughs) and I'm not weak. (laughs) Learned the
0: hard way. stories have a happy ending but she didn't cast ben she didn't catch that let's
1: uh, let's pick this back up next week fat joe is her therapist we think you might be a sex addict every time i see you what maybe Derek ho is that Derek Hopp? yes Sleeping well lately. I guess I never is this have. her Valentine's Day gift to us or a curse?
0: Yes. This is about her life, Allison. It's based on her life.
1: She used to sleep so peacefully. This is me. And I just used to lie there awake thinking. How does anybody sleep that way when your husband goes to sleep?
0: Now we're in the Matrix.
1: Is she a welder? I don't even get me. I don't even get me. <laughs> it's the best.
0: I've never lied to you. And the constant criticism, she thinks I'm her employee. This is
1: me. Being with you feels like home. Now. But I left home for a Which man is Ben Affleck? Wait, she just said being
0: with you is like home, but I left home for a reason. what I wanted to be when I grew up. My answer was always in love. Look at this, this is the cast, Kim Petras. That's interesting. I mean, Ben Affleck, he's gonna be in this,
1: Allison. So she gives Fat Joe top billing and her actual husband last. That's right. This is me. I so mean, this is a visual album or like a punishment? So I, this is,
0: <laughs> she's like lemonading here. This is like her doing a lemonade attempt. This is a visual album that is allegedly based on her own life. It will feature seemingly three marriages, a scene in which it's looking like she's working in a boiler room and or the set of The Matrix. Fat Joe plays her sex therapist. I don't know. Oh where do I begin? Where does it end? And her, when she says, I don't even get me, I'm like, it's so (laughs) meta. I'm like, what? she's like, you remind me of home, but that's why (laughs) there's a reason I left home. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like,
1: I mean, it's good to know her sister was getting a good night's sleep. We learned about
0: that. Love that you took that from that. But I mean, like, do you think like Mark Anthony's like, which guy am I? Am I the one who's like, you treat me like an employee? Am I Derek huff am i like who's ben affleck in this does he play himself
1: i'm wondering if j-lo asked if ben affleck would do another season of project Greenlight for her and he said maybe one night because he wasn't paying attention right and then this happened
0: this is a cautionary tale to everybody listening i know we're barely a month into this year but if you've never cared about astrology before in your life like i understand it if you are a Leo like me, please watch this trailer. And just, <laughs> if you're single, especially, please. This is what happens when two Leos are allowed to marry each other. Yes. It is like, it encourages like your Leoness to a degree that is like, dare I say criminal? I mean, I don't, I've been thinking about this trailer like every day. I'm just like, I can't make heads or tails of it. I don't know what it means. I can't look away from it. I mean, needless to say, if you're a part of our Discord on February 16th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'm going to be there and I'm going to hit play. This is coming out on Amazon Prime, Allison. On a Friday? We, on a Friday.
1: I mean. I think I'm washing my hair.
0: Okay, that's fine. But I mean, February 16th, like, let's say 8 p.m. I don't know. I'll figure it out. I'll post the no, details I'll, in the I'll, Discord. I'll clear
1: my calendar for this. I, mean, I think it's what we that have to, want.
0: as a people come together and try to understand, is j okay? Like I've said before on the show, is Ashanti okay? Yeah, it turns out she's fine. She's having a baby with Nellie. Congrats. She's doing, doing great. Like, I don't know what that's all about, but congrats to her. Like, wish her every happiness. Is JLo okay? I think we have the answer to that, but I don't know. I can't begin to know, like, what's going on?
1: I think she's going to be okay because she has a lot of, money and job stability it's interesting that she starred in the movie selena and didn't just take that as her peak it
0: was a real high point for her although i also think she's excellent in hustlers um great movie there's another movie where she is friends with leah remini i don't remember what that was called but that was a great movie they are real life Um, friends as well they are real life friends i just i don't understand i know she's being she's been successful in business i just read this whole like expose investigation into like Diddy's downfall and like from a business perspective, looking at how his like entire network is imploding. And one of the things that they noted was that he really wanted to buy some TV channel, but he was outbid by a company led by J-Lo. And I was like, wow, what a way to get back at your ex. My God. (laughs) So she's like thriving in business. I'm like, why do you, why do we need the visual album? I think she would say, why not? unfortunately as I fellow Leo it's like we don't need a reason why am I even asking this question you know what I mean but it's just I love something that is just so like low stakes is kind of meaningless to my life but it just brings me such joy because it's so absurd and that's how I feel about this like if you're having a bad day or even if you're having a good day you just want to like smile like go watch this trailer (laughs) I mean (laughs) J.Lo's here for you JLo's here for something. I don't really know what. I mean, at one point we're dancing on a, like it's almost high school musical. Another moment she's dancing in the rain. Then we see her like seemingly in the Matrix. She's in a boiler room. There's like a flash dance moment. We've seen like a flash mob at a wedding with a very like questionable wedding dress. I just, I can't, I don't know. The day that Ben
1: Affleck got an opportunity to star in a Duncan commercial and he won didn't turn it down out of just like basic Hollywood dignity and to ask Jennifer Lopez to come and be in the commercial with him. She has been plotting her revenge from the second that that happened. And she said, I will humiliate you in a way that a fast food visor couldn't even dream of. And that's what you watched.
0: I don't think that I actually think this is her Dunkin commercial, but in a sincere way, in the way that I think his was actually also sincere. Like we have to remember, Allison, this is a man with a fullback Phoenix tattoo.
1: It was real for him, but I think that this is also retribution for her.
0: I mean, probably, he I will mean, pay. you know,
1: <laughs> I wouldn't cross her. I'll say that. I hope she doesn't
0: listen to this show, but I mean, wow. I mean, I'm sorry, everyone, if you, ha- that you just, you had to live through that, you know, like we put you through that. We're sorry, I guess, or you're welcome, but you know, welcome to this show. We are actually not here to talk about this trailer, or this episode, You know we're capping our julie coverage it's been quite a journey from you know title nine a girl with a dream to a girl with a dream to save the environment to a girl with a dream to celebrate the bicentennial i don't really know where we landed with her but you know then she becomes president i guess
1: we got a lot of great suggestions for kind of other places to go with julie and people really highly recommended The mystery book that we read, The Puzzle of the Paper Daughter. And we would have loved to watch the Julie movie that came out in 2017, but it's also been sort of purged off of Amazon.
0: So we decided to
1: pair a book that's of the Julie universe and actually a really wonderful graphic novel, Hoops by Matt Tavares, with a little bit of kind of like other Julie entertainment. So I really want to talk about the Julie bathroom video that was created by American Girl, as well as And the Tiara Goes To, which is a Julie short.
0: Okay, great. (laughs) Okay, Um, that sounds amazing. I'm excited to kind of get into this conversation about this book. Now, where did we get this recommendation? So this
1: came from our Discord. Multiple people recommended that we read Hoops. If this is my second graphic novel or third, I'd be surprised. I've really never read very many of them and I was totally delighted and blown away. This book just came out in 2023 and you know that it's new because Sedona Prince is mentioned as a person of the culture and she's a fairly recent TikTok phenomenon. But yeah, we're we're really kind of coming to the end of, you know, topics in terms of Julie and Hoops looks back on a fictional situation set in the Midwest of an early girls basketball team, but it's based on the real experiences of girls from Indiana. Yes. And
0: I, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart, women's basketball. It's my favorite sport to watch. And I am like a very avid viewer of women's basketball. In fact, um, I just had to dip out quick and get a drink and I was checking the score of the South Carolina LSU game, which I'll come back to later, but In a way, this is like an interesting flashpoint of like how far women's basketball has come because the game that's being played tonight is before a sold out 7,000 plus crowd, And this would not have happened even probably a few years ago. And they were just saying that like on X, I refuse, I hate calling it X. Like on Twitter, somebody before the game was trying to sell two tickets to this game for $3,500 each. And like there was such high demand to get into this women's basketball game, which is really cool for the sport, but it puts this in a greater light of thinking about like what was happening in women's basketball in the 1970s and specifically like 1976 when this, fictional team based on a real team wins the championship. So, you know, like, are you a basketball person? Have you read books about basketball movies, things like that?
1: No, I have played basketball.
0: Wow. I like have a hard time picturing that even. I don't know why.
1: So I will say that the protagonist of this book is based on a real person named Judy Warren, who is 5'1". Wow. Oh, my God. That's my height. So people who've only ever listened to this show, we are both 5'1 or under. Yeah. And so I don't think anyone ever pegged me for much of a basketball player or star. The most that I know about basketball recently is either I hear something accidentally about LeBron James or I see okay. a basketball star on TikTok.
0: Okay. I think both of those things are, you know, they're legit basketball references. Love that for you. And, but I mean, I'm really, we, you grew up in Rhode Island. So it's like, you didn't have the gift of like growing up our generation in Connecticut where like UConn was popping off. Like I have a visceral memory of Jen Rosati, like, because I've always been so short, like she was a short ish basketball player comparatively. I think she's like five, six, and she was from Connecticut and she was like really scrappy and a great guard. And she was the guard the first year they won the national championship in 1995. In fact, the other day, I was like looking up the sports illustrated cover of Jen Rosati and I was like, should I buy this like for my office? Yeah. Why not? Maybe. I think I might have to, but like, I always was inspired by her cause I felt like she was short and she didn't let it hold her back in basketball. And I love playing basketball. I had brothers and mostly boy cousins and I played with them growing up And then played in leagues and stuff, but it was kind of always interesting to me to see like how even in our lifetimes, like the boys teams, even in like rec leagues were treated really differently from girls teams and like the quality of the uniforms and all these different things. So this really like resonated with me. And I also love basketball movies. I mean, I follow the NBA, but honestly, like the NBA drama is like also kind of wild, but um I really like watching women's basketball. So like Pat summit and Tennessee, like so many great programs, but I love basketball movies. Like the he mentions Hoosiers, which is a classic, but you know, there's like lesser known ones. Like there's a movie with like Whoopi Goldberg where she plays the coach of the Knicks. Hmm. Have you seen that? Or there's a I, movie I called, not. um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to list movies that like only I have seen. There's another movie that stars Common in Queen Latifah where she's like his physical therapist and they fall in love and like he plays for like
1: the Knicks or something. You know, there's a plot on the Sex and the City where Miranda dates the coach for the Knicks. I forgot that. Mm -hmm. Or sorry, he's not a coach. He is the physical therapist slash doctor. It's kind of unclear what he's doing. Okay, fair. I mean, honestly, that's like a great
0: connect. I mean, the Knicks aren't great, but like that's a really great connection. But yeah, I mean, I think like there's, it's interesting to see this as like an, as a, you know, addition to a pretty rich culture of like stories based in basketball and like thinking about this being like, I wish this existed when I was growing up. Like I remember reading my brother's Matt Christopher books and not a lot of them had like girls in them, but um, I loved this book and I, I am a graphic novel person. Like I've read many and I thought this was really wonderful. So I'm so happy to talk about it.
1: Yeah, Matt Tavares is a highly acclaimed author and illustrator. So he is also a New England person. And early on in his career, he wrote and illustrated a story that was called Sebastian's Ball. And that is about a magic foul ball caught at a Boston Red Sox game. He's done a number of sports books, but he was really inspired to take this story of an actual team from Indiana And to turn it into, I think, a highly relatable and relevant story about kind of like the struggles that young people still have with like friendship and sports. And maybe it would help. We say Title IX a lot, but maybe to talk about what that actually is, like where that comes from before we get into the sports story and how it connects to Julie. Absolutely.
0: Let's get into it.
1: So Title IX is what it's typically referred to. And this comes out of the U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights. And so they are the ones that are in charge of enforcing Title IX, which is part of the Education Amendment of 1972. And Title IX protects people from discrimination based on sex in education programs or activities that receive federal assistance. And usually that means schools. And what Title IX states is that no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in be denied the benefits of or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving financial assistance and so it doesn't initially spell out sports per se but that is what is included in it and this is part of the reason why college campuses for anyone that receives any kind of federal financial assistance It's why everyone has to be allowed to play sports, and it's also why cases of, say, sexual violence or harassment have to be taken seriously, or you can lose your federal funding.
0: Right. Yes. So, I mean, it was a pretty major innovation in sports, and I think- You know, it's interesting, like with the anniversary of Title IX, like there's been a lot of conversation about like how far women's sports have come or like women in general. And like, do you have any like grand thoughts on that you want to share from the jump?
1: I'll just say something I really like about this graphic novel is it opens in 1970 with a young girl watching and then playing a little bit of basketball herself and really kind of getting the message that for her and her best friend, their kind of pinnacle is becoming the head of the cheerleading team. Right. Which is absolutely something that her friend cherishes and is so excited about. But for the main character, Judy, that's kind of a default. It's not something she actually is really excited about. It's just the only option that she really sees for herself. And I like that this then jumped right into 1975 when the school that this person attends, now she's five years older, is being mandated to have school sports. And that felt a little bit, and it's not unfair to compare, it felt a little bit more organic than Julie Albright kind of randomly hearing about Title IX and then demanding that she get to play basketball.
0: Yeah, I mean, it did feel much more organic. And I think the pacing of that was really well done to kind of like collapse those years between when she's like kind of feeling sad that it's a default versus like getting to play. I also really like that we get this friendship between her and her friend who, for whom cheerleading is is a sport, like, by the way, like cheerleading is a sport and, you know, really loves that and it's meaningful and it's not for Judy. And I think what I like about the depiction of their friendship is that Judy doesn't shame her friend for loving cheerleading. It's not like one of these stories where it's like, wow, like who wants to be a cheerleader? Everyone wants to play basketball. It's like, this just isn't for me and that's okay. Like, I'm going to like go and you know, try to get into like, it's sort of a surprise that she gets to play basketball with the advent of Title IX, but you know, it does open up this story of like, when you're that young and you're still figuring out who you are and what your interests are, like it is very vulnerable to feel like, well, am I I gonna lose my friend if I like change this interest?
1: We start with, you know, there's really no idea whatsoever in her head that she could play at school the way that brothers and other boys in her community do. And I think what's really smart about the way Tavares kind of goes through the book, hoops is a play on words because most of the book is not really about basketball. It's the hoops that the girls have to go through to get to actually play. And something I really admired and loved about this book is by the end, you have this kind of double appreciation for them as not just athletes and students, but as people who have the tenacity to see it through, right? They have to fight to be able to play And that piece of their story is not super relatable to me. You know, I was one of the people who played volleyball and walked in gym class. But the idea that if someone had said I couldn't do something right, that would kind of inspire me to want to challenge that. So that's a piece of this book I really liked.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think something that is really cool about the storytelling is that it really documents that, you know, it was the students who drove this change you don't see parents coming into the principal's office being like, uh, my daughter should have the right to play basketball. or like, my son should get, you know, all the sports money, not these girls. It's like kids having these conversations among themselves. And like, in this case, starting a petition. Well, I mean, we're putting the card ahead of the horse here, but like, You know, we get this announcement of Title IX at a pep rally, and that was like a funny scene where it's like you're kind of getting a bureaucratic announcement as everyone's like getting super amped up to celebrate the men's basketball team.
1: Yeah, and I can even read a little bit from the summary because I think it helps. Like, We really do start in 1975, and in this book, it's called the Wilkins Regional High School. And this is their rookie season because they've never been able to play before. And the summary says, despite being undefeated, they practice at night in the elementary school and play to empty bleachers. Unlike the boys team, the lady bears have no buses to deliver them to away games and no uniforms, much less a laundry service. They make their own uniforms and with help from a committed female coach, they push through to improbable victory and will kind of save the rest. But from the beginning the girls find out that they're going to have this opportunity to play and basically no infrastructure to make that possible. They have to run to what they think are tryouts at a different school because the boys have already booked out the courts. And they very quickly learn that the person who has at first been appointed to take care of the team has no interest in it. He just says everybody gets to be on the team and walks away.
0: Right. And he's like, just scrimmage. Like he has no idea of like, no intention to coach them or like develop them as players, because, you know, even if it was the first day of a team that, you know, had experienced players, you need someone who can kind of direct you. And these are girls who have never had access to playing on an organized team, really maybe at their own elementary school. And he's like, yeah, anyway, just scrimmage. I'm out of here. Bye. Like all of you made it. Congrats. See ya.
1: And there's a few kind of important characters in this story besides Judy. So Judy is our protagonist. Stacy is her friend who is a cheerleader and who is taking that very seriously and thinks that they share this goal of running the cheerleading team together. And we also meet two other people who are kind of foils and, and advance the story in different ways. We have Coach Montez, who is the woman who steps up to really manage and work with the team. And then we have a new friend in Judy's life named Lisa. And Lisa is a pretty complicated character. We could just see a lot of facets of her. But Lisa is both all in on basketball and has, I think, the most visible frustrations about where the school is failing.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because I think something that really humanizes Lisa's anger, like, Lisa is the first to walk off the team, like, actually, multiple times because. So the first time she walks off is before the new coach comes because she's like, I can't believe we're being disrespected like this. And like when the boys coach walks away and the second time, um, it's because she's angry that their demands have not been met about like, they don't have uniforms. They're playing on white t-shirts they've brought where they've like applied electrical tape with number, like to add numbers to these shirts And, you know, as you said, they have to go to like an elementary school, like it's just not remotely the same care or consideration. And out of frustration, she walks off. And I really love this scene in the hardware store, her dad's hardware store, where um, Judy comes in to kind of like talk to her and like maybe talk her back into joining the team. And, you know, in the midst of this, they're like winning the games and their coach has to coach like multiple sports. Like she's (laughs) like, she's really up against it. And like, in spite of all these challenges, they're winning these games and, you know, coming together as a team. And so Judy goes to the hardware store and is like, Lisa, look, like what's going on? And and before she can even have that conversation, we get to witness a man come up to the counter and and say, Lisa, like, where's your dad? Is he here? And she's like, no, he's out, but I can help you. And he was like, no, 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 I'll come back. And then another man comes up and says, is your dad here? and just like really disrespect her as someone who probably could help them with whatever they need at the family hardware store. And I think it's a really beautiful moment where it's not hitting you over the head, but it's like, wow, these issues actually have resonance off the basketball court.
1: It's something you also couldn't do, or you would have to do in a different way. Because I kept thinking, how would the experience of telling this story be different if Tavares chose to write a novel? And he hmm. talks in the back of the book about how he actually really struggled to think of how to write and depict this story. And I think something that is so subtle and really just perfect about this book is the women in the book in particular don't have to say out loud and don't have to offer exposition on the sexism because they just look at each other. There's so much right. that goes unsaid in this book.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's, it's a really great moment of storytelling of like show don't tell. And also like, it allows you then to sort of imagine what the rest of their worlds look like, where you know, where where other places where they're sort of demeaned in, in ways, big or small, just for being girls. And it makes you wonder too, about like the character of Judy's mom, who is not in the book that much, but she's a waitress. And at one point she's mentions that she can't pick Judy up because from these late practices, cause she has to work a double shift. And it is like, it just makes you wonder like, wow, what is her mom being subjected to at her job? Like, how are people talking to her? And I don't know, it's just, it was very good.
1: Her mother also brings up the fact that they're going through a gas shortage. And so it adds to this reality that because these young women, right, have to kind of, you know, slapdash, put everything together for themselves. That I think kind of little nugget in the book, it makes you appreciate even more. Initially, the girls are not provided with a mode of transportation to go to away games. So their coach has to basically borrow a Winnebago. And that's how they end up traveling. And so you really have this immense appreciation and admiration for this coach who is figuring everything out. And then you're reminded, right, by this friend character who's, you know, working in the store and dealing with all of this subtle and not subtle sexism that the boys don't ever have to do that, right? That everything Mm. has to be done by them. They have to take on all this mental consideration and actual work. Whereas the boys are never asked to wash their own uniforms,
0: right? Yeah, I mean it's just like a complete double standard. And yeah, I mean I think what's was inspiring about like learning about that is that these girls, rather than just take it, were like, no, we're making, we're gonna write a letter because if we write a letter and we show <laughs> it to the athletic director, like so pure, like if if he knew the like all of these disparities, he would want to do something about it.
1: And that feels very much like ripped from the Julie Albright headlines, but then you actually read the history of these real women who were able to succeed. And I found a bunch of articles about them and it feels eerily similar to Julie's story because this is what people actually did.
0: (laughs) Yeah. They had a petition. Are you talking about Judy Warren in particular?
1: Yeah. So I found some information about Judy and the rest of the team and a few things were surprising about the coverage to me, but really people sort of had to give it to these young women that these schools were going to plan on following the very basic letter, but not the spirit of this law at all. And these young people just forced them to do it, to force them to actually take care of these student athletes.
0: Yeah, and I think that, you know, this is kind of where it gets to, like, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Like, on the one hand, I read this book and was like, wow, like, I have such a deep appreciation of women like Judy Warren and, you know, others from that era, like Denise Curry, Cindy Noble, Lynette Woodward, and others, but um, Nancy Lieberman. But, you know, people who had to really fight for their access to play basketball and, um, you think like, okay, well, where are we at in terms of equity? And then he mentions the playoffs in 2021 and the fact that, you know, players were putting on social media that their weight room for the women in the NCAA tournament was like, let's all share one rack of weights. And the men had like an entire room of like really, you know, much more equipment. And it was like a very clear double standard. And there was other elements of that besides weights, but you know, I think it does point to, you know, there's still like, there's a pretty big gap there.
1: Yeah, you can find all sorts of statistics, right, about, you know, the disparities in pay, the disparities in attention. But one thing that is a real, you know, true legacy of Title IX is we know, because it's been borne out over and over when young people are allowed to flourish and have these experiences, you know, the younger they are, it makes a lasting positive impact on the rest of their life.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I am not a sports like wonder kid never was, but I have such fond memories of being on teams and like You know, driving to away games, and you know when I was much younger than that, just like that was a way that I made a lot of my lasting friendships. And you do feel like confidence in yourself if you can do something with like a whole group of other people, and it's such an empowering thing. But it, you know, even when I was younger, like I remember I played in CYO, like the church league, and the boys' uniforms were so so much fancier than the girls, and they had like multiple jerseys. And all of these other things. And they got trophies at the end and all this stuff. And like, we were lucky to have like these very old jerseys that were, God only knows how old. And it was just kind of like, it's bizarre that, you know, people were passing this off as like, oh no, this is good. And, you know, you just wonder, like, I don't know what the state of it is now, but in youth sports but you know i wonder how much things have changed like is there still a miss do they call the best indiana high school basketball player a woman basketball player miss basketball still (laughs) because that's what judy warren was in 1976 she was the first indiana miss basketball which is also kind of a tell about how they might have been viewed differently
1: one of the things that really sticks out in the coverage of the real team that this is based on, and a lot of the coverage comes out of Indianapolis, that's not where the girls were located, but, but that's where you get a lot of the stories. <laughs> There's a lot of people, and you can choose to read this, and I think there is some level of sincerity in this. A lot of the challenge that's put up to the girls in the fictional version, right, in Hoops, is... Money can't really be spent on this because no one is going to come to watch you. So they sell tickets, right? And they kind of upend that argument. But the people who actually did watch the South Bend team in Indiana in 1976, part of what comes out in the coverage is sort of like even in spite of having like a sexist lens on, multiple people say things like this. They're not bad. In fact, they're pretty good. And I think to kind of, you know, account for something culturally, for some good number of people, I think it was just surprising that women could do this at all because it had been so hidden, right?
0: Right, right. Well, I mean, you know, women's basketball, basketball in general goes back to like the late 1800s, but I was looking up the role changes for women in basketball and like, I didn't know they couldn't play full court until 1971. Which is mind-blowing. I don't know what that means. Okay. So you know how in a basketball court, <laughs> so like, so imagine my hands are hoops, right? On either yes. end of the court. So sometimes when you're playing, you play like half court. So like somebody would just inbound the ball from the side over here and you would only go as far as half court. And Got then it. Both teams are shooting in the same hoop. So they don't have to run the full length of the court. So we're just I playing see. over here. So that's half court. And before that, they had made a third court, which I've never heard of. it wasn't until 1971 that there was a rule change in women's basketball that they could play full court with a five-player game um, for the first time in college in aau the first full scholarship for a woman to play basketball in college was offered in 1974 which is mind-blowing to me and the first professional basketball league for women was founded in 1978 It only existed till 1981 and then was defunct until 1996 when we got the WNBA and the ABL, um, which were both, I think, trying to play on the popularity of the 1996 women's basketball Olympic team, which had like Cheryl Swoops on it. It was considered like the female Michael Jordan, or that's how she was marketed at the time. She was the first woman basketball player to have a sneaker named for her. Um, it's very rare, but it's out there. Um, yeah. So it's like, we've kind of been living through like the glow up of women's basketball.
1: There's also this pattern, right. Of sort of forgetting that female athletes existed in previous times because the stories weren't really told, you know, sort of famously where we went to graduate school, there's a really good women's basketball team and something that the university would pull out, you know, not infrequently there were photos of women playing basketball over a hundred years ago. Right. Saying they were on a team or they had sponsorships or anything from, you know, Wheaties or graham crackers, but, you know, they were playing basketball. Some of the coverage in the seventies harkened back to when in the 1930s, there had also been opportunities for women to play basketball. And that made me think of an older unnamed woman who is one of my favorite characters in this hoops book which is the older woman who buys one of the first sets of tickets to the game. Yes. And the young people are devastated because all these people buy tickets because they think this is kind of interesting for the game, but they don't actually show up. Most of them stay home, including this older woman who kind of like dozes off by the couch. Later, when they start to get media coverage, just like the real-life team, she listens to stories about them on the radio and she supports them with the t-shirt and I think it's very reminiscent of the older woman who catches the ball at the very end of a league of their own, right? Yeah. Kind of all this untapped potential of people's elders who were never even given a short-term opportunity to play.
0: Yeah, that's a really great point. And it's sort of like if you've ever gone to a Yukon basketball game, like there's a lot of like older fans who show up and I got to go recently because my childhood neighbor has like tickets and gave me one when she couldn't be there. And there was these really sweet older sis- ladies behind us, two sisters. And it was just so cute to hear them like cheer for the girls by first name through the whole game. And they're like, oh, like, come on, Paige. And it was just like so <laughs> sweet. But I'm sitting there thinking like, wow this is so cool because they probably didn't have the opportunity to do this themselves. And like, there was a lot of like older women there. And I was like, wow, this is actually like really powerful that, you know, thinking about them being able to be happy for these girls who have opportunities that they didn't, but, you know, just like so joyful, like for them.
1: What do you make of the fact that, you know, this team is pretty much an instant success, you know, they end up going, pretty far and they end up winning a huge championship. Like, what do you make of the choice to kind of focus on that?
0: I mean, I like it in the sense that like, that to me is his greatest inspiration of Hoosiers coming in. I don't know if you've seen Hoosiers. Okay. So Hoosiers is the reason why I almost (laughs) broke my ankle when I was like in fifth grade, because I watched Hoosiers and I love that movie. And it basically is like, canon like why indiana is like huge like basketball culture like it's capturing like early basketball culture in the state and everyone's like excitement for high school basketball and it's set in the 50s and all every member of the team is wearing converse high tops and to my mind when i was watching this at eight preparing to play put like town basketball for the first time i'm like okay so the secret to being good at basketball is you got to wear converse hive top sneakers. And so I did that. And like, basically my coach came over to my mom, like after the fifth game or something, and he was like, she will break an ankle. The converse have to stop. Like I've told her. And I was like, I didn't share this with my mom because I'm like, this is the secret sauce. Like this is how I'm going to make it. But anyway, don't, don't wear converse. If you're going to play basketball, it doesn't support your ankle anyway. But, the story of Hoosiers is it follows a team that has like one really good player and this coach who's like a hothead and they go from like this small town and they go to like probably the same gym where they play in the championship. And at first they're like freaked out by the lights, but they win the state championship and they don't really face that serious a test along the way. It's just sort of like, wow, they came from nothing and they're here. And I kind of feel like he was sort of doing that kind of storyline.
1: And if I hadn't read about in the back of the book and then newspaper articles, the real team, I would have thought, okay, we're kind of just trying to push too hard for a success story. But in March of 1976, there's all this coverage about Judy Warren. And so the Judy in this book is inspired by her. And this article in a major newspaper says they'll remember Judy Warren a long time, the smallest player on the floor. The five foot one blonde sparked Warsaw to the Indiana high school girls basketball crown Saturday night, 57 over 52 in a battle of unbeatens. Warren sank five, three, five free throws, I obviously talk about sports all the time, in the <laughs> final 64 seconds to clinch the victory and snap Bloomfield's 48 game winning streak. So they were playing against a really powerful team and she absolutely crushed it. And this is something I loved because this is reflected in the book. The whole town really rallies around these people and they have 9,000 fans watching them. They kind of interview a few people who watch it and the article ends, the citizens of Warsaw headed for Indianapolis after posting a sign on the outskirts saying the last person out of town, please turn out the lights but the lights were never dimmed. The celebrating continued into the wee hours of Sunday morning. That's
0: like so sweet. Like I actually love how like a whole town can come together around this team or any team. I'm sure like if I lived in the town, like my sort of non-joiner instincts would make me question that, but I do think (laughs) it's really sweet. Like it's something that's just like, it's nice that a whole town can get around supporting, you know, something kids are doing. I think that's really cool.
1: Especially when You know, I found an article from the month before that. And even when they're starting to get media attention, their uniforms are a mess, right? I know almost nothing about this. None of them match. They don't have any consistency. And the article says, you know, Warsaw girls intimidate. And it's all about how powerful they are on the court. But knowing how this book really highlights these disparities, right? Even when they're getting actual media attention, the town, you know, the community, they don't match, right? They don't have proper uniforms yet. So I think, you know, obviously, this has been said about a lot of things, but like these young women had to be so amazing and so much better to get even any kind of equality.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I just find like so many parallels with that where it's like, my entire lifetime, UConn men's basketball games have been on ESPN or a major channel, at least like a couple of times a season, if not like, you know, major channels airing their games. When the UConn women started like or got like national attention in the early 90s and through the early 2000s, their games were on public access, pub, like um, CPTV and PBS. And only in the past couple of years did they sell the media rights to SNY, which is like kind of a question mark. And some of their Hmm. games are on ESPN. They actually just sold NCAA the rights to view the women's NCAA tournament this year. And it's like for the most money ever. I want to say it's like 300 something million dollars. So they're kind of like talking up, like how much more national attention women's basketball is getting. But you know, it's interesting to see how things change and don't in our lifetimes and where that's going to go. I mean, I think the WNBA is an interesting case study because I think I've said this before, but mascots in the NBA make more than any player in the WNBA still. And that's sort of a tell, like there's a salary cap of like 200 something thousand dollars in the WNBA, which is like complicated for reasons I won't get into. But you can actually live better playing on a women's college basketball team than you can touring with a WNBA team, which like flies commercial and all this other stuff the NBA doesn't do. But my favorite like time of this that I wonder, like does Judy Warren know who Caitlin Clark is? Do you know who Caitlin Clark is? I do not know who Caitlin Clark is. That's okay. Um, Caitlin Clark is considered as of last week to be like the presumptive number one pick of the WNBA draft. She is like the Judy Warren of her moment. She plays he- for Iowa. She has scored 45 points in at least three games this season so far, which is a lot And she's like a dominating force. She's like the Judy Warren of her moment. Like everyone's like, oh my God, like Caitlin Clark. She can shoot these like really deep threes, really a dominant player. And basically like the WNBA's number one pick goes to the Indiana Fever because they're terrible. And because Indiana has this long basketball culture, everyone's like trying to get Caitlin Clark to come to Indiana and to enter the draft. And I think she has another year for COVID, but I think she's going to enter this year. Um, and so there was this campaign by this guy who owns a bunch of Jiffy lubes where he put like, please come Caitlin Clark on all of his Jiffy lubes in Indiana. And he was encouraging everyone else to do this, but it's like wild, like the state culture of basketball in Indiana. I'm like, this is so like
1: intense. I was looking at some numbers of, you know, who watches sports, right? Like who kind of benefits from all of this and some of the numbers golf, you know, is something I don't know a lot about, but the numbers of the highest paid, you know, The gap is so big between the two of them. Right. Like talking in the hundreds of millions to just a few million and something we should say. Right. Because this is based on a true story. Right. And it's set in a particular kind of place. You know, Judy's mother works in a diner, but, you know, her friend's father owns a store. They're sort of middle class or working class. And in the long run, a lot of the evidence has shown that Title IX has benefited predominantly white communities, and mm-hmm. the disparities are even bigger for Black and Latina women who want to play sports, right? So there's continues to be different levels of representation depending on which sport, which community you're looking at. But it is kind of shocking, right? Even 40 years later, that this is still so uneven.
0: Yeah, it is shocking. And I think like I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to really rectifying this. Like, you know, the the athletic director in the book at one point is like, well, the laws change, but they don't give us extra money to enforce the laws. And that's what a lot of institutions still say about why they can't enforce Title IX equally. Um, I don't really buy that, but I also just think sports in general are changing so much, like particularly if you think about sports um, with school age people like even basketball now it's interesting about the racial disparity of access to basketball, because when I was playing and it's gotten a lot more intense now, like it was not only that you could play in your town and then go play for your high school. And if you were really good, somebody would find you and you'd get to go to college on a scholarship. It's like, there's this parallel track of AAU where you have to pay a fortune to be on this traveling team and buy all these uniforms. And it, there's like such a barrier of access to doing that. I myself didn't do it because it was so expensive. And You know, thinking about like, well, there's all of these sort of like coded things you have to do to get into like high school basketball or like to get a basketball scholarship, like who can access all of these pathways.
1: And in this community, it seems, you know, some people just kind of got lucky, right? They just sort of showed up at the right time and they all happen to be very good at basketball, which is you know, based on a true story in this case. But I think part of, you know, the power of the Julie story is they give you someone who kind of sees that some of life is chance, but a lot of it is what you ask for, right? Or what you're able to demand while still safely, you know, holding on to your civil rights. And I like that in the case of this book, you know, we weren't following a character who was super similar to Julie in that way. It's really more her friends who take on some of those characteristics. But seeing that pattern, right? That just because the law is passed doesn't mean that very much actually changes until people demand it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I hope that there's more pressure to I think it's harder for professional sports because there isn't the same pressure to apply like Title IX. It's really like it's interesting to see men who are prominent in the NBA or like commentators, even like Charles Barkley, saying it's really corporations that are going to make the difference for the WNBA because they need to infuse money so that, you know, they can buy screen time to put game, more games on TV and like afford to invest more money to build more expansion teams and pay the players more and all these different things that would elevate the game to the next level. But if you don't have like literal investment, you can't do that. So what do you do if like, you know, Title IX isn't really the thing that is gonna hold people to
1: account? No, and in the case of this story, it's the town kind of being unable to ignore the fact that they're just absolutely crushing it, right? Like they have to be so amazingly excellent (laughs) to get the bare minimum. And when they're finally offered transportation, they end up, you know, not taking it and they allow their fans to use the transportation. But long-term, you just know that this coach is going to burn out.
0: (sighs) Absolutely. And it just makes you wonder, like, if you didn't win, would anybody care? Like if, excuse me, if the U.S. women's soccer team hadn't won all of those times, like would any, would they have gotten the pay equity that they only recently achieved like would anybody care about what they're advocating for if they weren't winning games
1: well the highest paid female golfer a few years ago made seven million the highest paid male made 138 yep the wmba caps at 215 215 yeah. 000, and the nba is 123 million
0: Yeah. So, you know, a little bit different. They're kind of different.
1: different. And I think people would point to this fact, which is, um, you know, about half of the men who say they watch sports are avid fans, but less than 20% of the women are avid fans. So I think that's kind of the excuse, right? That, That, you know, certain kinds of people are watching certain kinds of sports. I guess thinking about this book and the way that sports is portrayed in the Julie books, like if you had to say, there's a lesson in hoops that you would want someone to get, what do you think that lesson is? Like what would be a circumstance in which you hand this book over to a person hoping that there's something they get from it?
0: Hmm. Well, I think there's a lot of great different uses. So I think on the one hand, if I had, you know, a young boy in my life, I would have him read this book to appreciate, you know, this history and that these issues exist and still exist in our world. I think if I had a young girl in my life or just a young person, it's like, this is a really empowering book for people who might feel like their circumstance is not going to allow them to pursue something that they care deeply about. I mean, obviously there's structural issues in life that sometimes determine our choices, but this is a really inspirational book, I think. So anyone who, you know, is open to being inspired, I would give them this book. What about you?
1: No, I think you're spot on with all of that. And I also love the ending of this book where the group of girls come back. They're now college athletes, right? Now they're able to yes. participate in that way. And I think something special about the book is the way the real life community. And now Matt Tavares is kind of holding up real people as examples, right? Not kind of myths or heroes or saying like, well, you're either Michael Jordan or you're nothing, but saying, you know, this girl who's five, one just really wanted to play basketball and yeah. ended up becoming the star, you know, and kind of giving people an opportunity to reward and appreciate everyday courage from actual people you might know, I think is great.
0: Yeah, I think like it's a really good reminder that there's always people in your community who you might be looking to as models without even thinking about it. Like when I was reading this book, I was like remembering that there was this girl in high school when I was in elementary school and I used to go to open gym on the weekends. And I was just like, oh my God, like can you imagine being in high school and playing on the high school basketball team? Like she's so incredible because she's such a great player. And it was like she was a celebrity to me at that point, but you don't think about that like people in your just your community. And so it's also just a reminder of adults reading the book, like think about who you can like mentor and inspire and, you know, encourage in your own way.
1: Now, with that in mind, did you also watch And the Tiara Goes too?
0: I did not. So I'm going to need you to fill me in on that.
1: So I was so desperate for the American Girl movie that we can now no longer access that I went on the American girl YouTube channel and I watched all the Julie videos. So I watched the oh close-up on Julie's bathroom. I watched the music video that was made about her and I watched okay. the 15 minute short and the tiara goes to,
0: okay, please tell me more.
1: So the summary tells us it's the mid 1970s and nine-year-old Julie plays on the boys basketball team. She wants to perform basketball dribbling for her talent in the school beauty pageant, but is teased for the thought of it. Julie has to decide if she'll stay true to herself or conform. While she's at it, she gives an unconventional yet forward-thinking answer to the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Can you guess what her answer is? Um, president? She wants to be the first female president of the United States. Wow. Sad goal. Keep dreaming, girl. This was hard to watch. I'm going to be honest with you, because this is a pre-2020 production and there's still clearly a lot of hope about a female presidency that I'm not sure I share quite at this moment, but it Mm -hmm. sets up this world and a reminder, right? Julie does not play on her own separate team. Julie Albright is really just sort of integrated into the existing sports program, And Julie gets teased by the other girls in the bathroom and they find out that she's going to dribble. So she decides that she might sing in this very strange school pageant instead. Julie really thinks that it's a great idea to dribble as part of her talent. And I'll say the child's actor in this, Julie Ledford, she does an amazing job dribbling. But Julie faces a very different situation than both like fictional and real life, Judy, she's a bit younger, right? She's still only nine or 10 years old in this story, but it's interesting that American girl chose to make this in 2015 and kind of make this around the crisis of a beauty pageant, because way back in the 1970s, they talk a lot about the girls sort of being like crowned on the basketball court, right? Like trying Mm. to put it in this kind of comfortable language Notably, Julie does not win the beauty pageant, but she does come in second place.
0: That's weird. I just like (laughs) I find it weird that they're like forcing. Like, it wasn't surprising to me to learn that Judy, what Judy Warren was named the first Indiana Miss Basketball of 1976. Like, in other words, in the 70s, they were still framing like being great at basketball as a woman as like akin to being a pageant queen like, I don't know if I should change my Instagram handle to Ms. Basketball, but oh, yeah. like, it feels like of the seventies, it's very strange to me that somebody making this in like 2020, the Julie movie would be like, yeah, we should absolutely like highlight this elision between basketball and like playing sports and like pageant culture. Like, I don't want to demean people for whom pageants are meaningful, but just to say that, like, I don't know, the politics of that are weird. Like, what are, what do you think the lesson is supposed to be of her coming second in a pageant?
1: So part of why she comes in second, I think, is because she sort of waffled on her talent and she wasn't like quite sure what she was going to do. And I think you're supposed to believe that the audaciousness of her answer, which is that she'll be the president when she grows up, that that's just like a little bit too far for this kind of school system Mm. but so this was made in 2015 and it was made as part of a series of shorts and then two years later they came out with the julie and ivy movie and julie also got a music video so i think they were kind of experimenting with form but it's a very weird sort of after school special 15 minute film with high production quality and like very Mm. obvious lesson if you liked hey courtney listen to Julie can change the world tagline meet Julie she loves to help people whether in school on the basketball court or on the streets of San Francisco Julie tries her best to make a difference in the world and it has like a nice little hook like she's gonna know what she's gonna do what she's gonna do do everything in her heart it it kind of has like the audacity of a J-Lo song with about as much common sense
0: going to say like how does any of this stack up to this is me now
1: i mean nothing does but i think julie kind of gets it like That's i think fair. julie would have written a 700 page autobiography if we would give her the chance
0: a barbara streisand yeah. moment if yeah. you will yeah wow julie i mean do you have any like wrap-up thoughts on julie like the journey we've been on
1: i think i appreciate that her stories are heavy-handed in the right ways You know, I think sometimes we're looking for things that just aren't going to be there in the books as part of reexamining what we like or what we've taken away from them. And I think there's something about Julie being a fully fleshed out character and product of the 1970s where there's something kind of like in the spirit of Melody or Rebecca, just having her fully Mm -hmm. embrace every possible trend from... Title Nine to Little Miss Watergate and just being a kind of curious and remarkable young person. I think that's what I really like about this character, even though some of her particular causes are, are not for me. You know, sports were take or leave for me, but I love the principle of things with her.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think there was like a lot of firsts with her character that I think are really cool. Like, I do think like exploring a character whose parents are navigating divorce, like, that was really interesting and, and I think really cool. And I I think having her be an athlete or like care about a sport um, in a way that the other girls we've read haven't so far, haven't been able to. Like, Kit loves baseball, didn't get to play in Little League, for example. I think that was fascinating. I loved her relationship with her sister and with her mom, the dad. I'm just going to be real. It's like, he remains a question yeah. mark, like open question about dad. Don't really know what he was all about. Don't feel great about some of his parenting choices. But, you know, I mean, I feel like where we land with Julie is like she was a really earnest person and she went like a hundred miles per hour into like her interest in any particular moment, which feels very like of her age and, Yeah, I mean, I feel like she's a fully rounded out character in the sense that by the end of the books, you can kind of get a sense of or predict, like, here's something she would do or wouldn't do, which I think is a credit to the writing. And I don't know. I really love Julie. I had a great time. Speaking
1: of unpredictable, if you watch the Julie's bathroom video, this person who's completely earnest says, you know, like, girls will have so much fun with you know like basically like putting Julie in and out of the shower with the macrame accessories and flushing the toilet and using her hair dryer and I have questions for that person not in a critical way just like I think that's fascinating that they want girls to have this certain kind of like immersive experience with 1970s bathroom like someone took her like lime green and pink old custom bathroom and bulldozed it into something beige and this woman got her revenge. She was like, You will get a Julie bathroom, whether you like it or not. Oh That's what God. I think.
0: You know, I know okay. I like that theory. I mean, in a sense, like that is kind of coming back now where people are doing bold color choices with bathroom decor. But why
1: are we playing with Julie in the bathroom?
0: It's an odd moment. I mean, I did wonder why this why this video is set in a bathroom. Like she's the
1: most of the world, and they're like, put her back. We can't put her in a kitchen, but we can put her in a bathroom to blow dry her hair. It's just
0: weird. It's like there's never a scene in the books that cares about the bathroom or like if it were me, if I was going to have her in the house, I'd have her on shack carpeting somewhere. (laughs) Or in her
1: cute egg chair or bug stuffing or like one of the many other things. But yeah, Julie has been a real treat. I really, really enjoyed covering her. Love Julie.
0: And, you know, it just begs the question, where are we going next?
1: We are very excited to be reading the second Claudie book, which came out a few months ago at this point. It is also by Britt Bennett, and we will be traveling with Claudie to the American South.
0: Can't wait. A little nervous, but can't wait. Absolutely. So if people can't wait to talk about... <laughs> hoops and many other things how should they contact us
1: they should reach out and follow the show at dolls lives podcast and dolls lives pod and you can find me at allison harricks on everything and what about you
0: i'm considering changing my handle to miss basketball or little miss watergate um you know maybe i'll have to reserve that for the title of a future mixtape or something but if you want to get at me please contact me at Mimi Mahoney love talking women's basketball and almost anything else. So yeah, can't wait to hear from folks and can't wait to move on to the second cloudy book. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you on the next episode.